Welcome to The Storeroom, a North VCA podcast. The Storeroom is a place where we keep everything that influences our ideas. And this season, we discuss across a bewilderingly wide variety of topics, the impact that brand stories have on our lives. Welcome to The Storeroom. Let's go inside see what we can find well technically if i just move away it's not going to affect the sound if i slurp this bit <laughs> yeah no just move away it's actually fine hello everyone welcome back to another edition of north's podcast series the storeroom uh today i'm with obviously my partner mike bond and uh very very interesting guy and, a, and a, a good friend of mike's i've only met him today but he he's he's really struck me as being very interesting um and uh his name is duncan mcclennan uh, of uh, formerly of and people and uh, yeah, we're just happy to have you on the show, Duncan. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, no problem at all. So um, obviously a lot of good stuff happens off, off air a lot of the time. So we were just talking about, um, you know, your origin story. But I think before that, we want to, after we get through that, I think we want to speak about and people and what their brand story was, which is obviously something that North focuses on and puts a huge amount of value in. So... Um, I think when we last left your conversation, you were you just fled the, the Swiss Alps. So <laughs> we can if we want to go if we want to go backwards a bit. Um, yeah, just tell us your origin story, how you how you got to and people and uh, cool. That's I'm sure it's very interesting. Um, yeah, so um, I guess it all starts back in in Johannesburg where I was born and raised. Um, so um, I was a just a, a typical Joburg kid in the '90s, getting up to um, all sorts of nonsense, Me um, too. running around exploring. Um, a lot of the underground scenes within within the culture space, yeah. um, and Le Club, Le Club, yeah. um, actually, no, Le Club was the the club, not Le Club. Le Club, <laughs> Le club was slightly before my time. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit I'm not, older than Duncan. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> We've established that quite early not on. Many, that you're you, younger could, than you, you caught me off guard. There, not many people know Le Club. You've yeah. just you've just gone up a notch in my book. <laughs> Um, so, um, um, so, so yeah, I grew up in Joburg and then, um, came in and, and spent a couple of years studying down in Stellenbosch where I did a a BCom marketing, which was a, um, not a, an amazing use of, um, capital. Um, it sent, set me back a couple of years paying off the student loan, um, that I'd taken there, um, and actually proved to be a completely useless set of information because for a man who's made a career in marketing i can say i haven't utilized a single thing that i learned in, <laughs> so good in, to know. in that space but um but made a lot of friends and uh, and you know had a had a good time but then um yeah i did some did some time traveling and eventually found myself in the world of advertising in london uh, where i spent 10 years working in um integrated agencies um and leading global brands and business with quite a strong orientation towards the the youth market yeah. uh, so the brands with the likes of Jack Daniels Budweiser um, and Adidas um, and everything was peachy um, my life yeah. was good there um, I had no intention of moving back to South Africa um, and came back on holiday um, one year as you do doing the wedding circuit <laughs> um, which everyone goes through and um, good friend of mine Mike Leslie um, had just concluded his first year of running and people um so mike is a he comes from the brand marketing world so he had spent 10 years at uh, levi's and red bull um building culture-led marketing programs um and then had um scratched an entrepreneurial itch and started an agency um and 
over the course of that holiday, we were staying at the same places, doing a lot of talking. He was recovering after his first year. Um, and I suppose Mike and I shared a lot of beliefs um, in the professional space around the role that brands play. Yeah. Um, did, did you meet Mike at, at, at when you were studying? Or? Um, it was through those years, yes. Okay. So, so, so Mike's um, first wife and my now wife are, are very good old childhood friends, um, and we shared a, a, a collective group of friends. Brilliant. Um, and, and so by the end of that holiday, I guess, um, A, I'd helped give him a little bit of insights as to how to manage and run an agency. Yeah. Um, but also, um, he had, I suppose, in me, tapped something that said, why don't we just do this together? Sure. Uh, we both believed that something needed to change in our industry. Uh, the way we work, the work that we produce, yeah. uh, the way the brands we work with are represented in culture needed to change. Um, and that was the that was the essence of what he had started within within and people. So, um, and would you say sorry? Just to take a, a step back there. When you were in London, would you say you know the integrated digital agency? Would you say that was in its infancy there? So you you really were at the the crest of the wave. I mean, what sort of year are we looking at here? No, that well that time frame was two thousand and two thousand and five to okay. two thousand and twelve. You yeah. know, so but later. Um, so you know, I was fortunate enough to work in in great places, but. We weren't creating work for the people that we were serving. We were creating work that was largely ego-driven. Yeah. If I was going to just like be completely honest, would you say would you substitute the word ego for client-driven there? No, okay. I would say within the agency within space. Within the agency, yeah. Um, so a lot of it was driven by awards. You know, like mm-hmm. you, you <laughs> every agency you walk into reception, it's just it's a it's an it's a trophy room. Trophy cabinet, yeah. Um, and that is how people measure their impact. Yeah. And that just didn't really sit right with me because when I was working on iconic brands, um, I felt like we could be doing more with the money that we had to actually create value in culture, yeah. uh, to create value for the people we were making that work for, not to extract value from them mm-hmm. um, and satisfy our own egos with some sort of accolade whilst getting hideously drunk mm. um, in France for a while. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, Mike managed well, to lure me back. Well, you can do both, though, you know, if you... <laughs> Potentially. Um, so, Mike managed to lure me back. We spent a bit of time working those details out. I had to fly back to London, explain to um, to my then-girlfriend that uh, we were moving back to South Africa. Wow. Um, and a year later, formally moved back and, and started work with the NAND people. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it at times feels like that was a lifetime ago but that was you know the start of 2014 so six and a half years ago now you've spoken a lot about you know being not just culturally relevant but being part of the culture and and uh, obviously said specifically to aim towards youth culture and uh, a lot of a lot of those brands that you mentioned are they are of that of that culture but could have been doing it better and uh, and and i think advertising or any form of communication should inherently be part of the culture i think that's that's what that's what everyone believes otherwise you don't engage with it mm-hmm. so i'm sure that was 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 a was a guiding sort of principle or a, or a reason you started yeah totally well i mean fortunately i'd been grown up um with those i was fortunate enough to work on those types of brands yeah um and i guess you're right it was a bit of a convergence of um, part of like my identity, having been involved in those cultural spaces, yeah. understanding the role that brands could play within that world, um, and then having the, 
I suppose the exposure to brands that that were yeah you know and then that that just challenged me to think about how much more they could be doing sure how much more they could be representing themselves and and the people was there one was there one particular campaign for want of a better word from that time that really resonates or still sticks with you that you thought wow we really we really got it right there because you know something that wasn't particularly ego driven or just really did something properly the way you should you see it should have been done um i don't know that's a that's a difficult question mm. i haven't thought back on that time in, in quite a long time i think you know we did a lot of you know when i look back to the days on the likes of jack daniels we did a lot of storytelling mm. uh, we did a lot of work within music within live music yeah um and we always championed live musicians and artists yeah so so we developed experiential properties that we then built up and advertised that i think were relevant and 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 definitely served their purpose yeah um but at the end of the day it always just felt like there was something more for sure like it felt like there was an opportunity to do more to leave um well, i suppose to create sustainable value yeah was what was 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 the driver like what is the value that we're creating in the lives of the people that we're making this for and how are we quantifying that first and foremost before we think about our brand metrics and I do love that word you used, you know, not extracting something from them, you know, giving giving people something. And I mean, that's something, you know, obviously as a guiding principle at North, we always talk about brand stories. And I think if you ask someone what a brand story is, you'll probably get a, a divergent number of different answers. But uh, you've mentioned storytelling now, but what was the, the brand story, for want of a better word, behind, behind and people? I mean, besides the origin story, what was your purpose? Um, we always articulated our purpose as a, to um, grow brands by creating value in the lives of young people. Brilliant. Um, so it was always about the notion that I mentioned about creating more value than you extract. Yeah. Um, by not being driven by a channel or a discipline in defining a problem or identifying a, a, a problem. Um, really being open to understanding like what is happening within culture. What is the cultural intelligence yeah. first and foremost and what role do you play as a brand in creating value in that lifestyle? Yeah, in the, within, in the lives within of those that people. sphere that's already established by the youth market. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. And and look, that's a that's a real time observation. Yeah. You know, because we know that the youth market is the most fluid and dynamic, complicated segment of people that's yeah. ever existed. Yeah, they're infuriating. Always, 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 we really are, aren't we? Um, <laughs> but, yes, we are. But no, it's, it's, it, it really is like a, if you look up the definition of youth culture, like let me know if you find one, yeah. because you won't, because it's, uh, it's, it's right defined. It's brand story, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's defined by the youth themselves, yep. you know? Um, so, you know, that was always the driver behind why we needed to exist, Yeah, is that this is a group of people that is constantly in a state of flux, behaves by a set of laws, language of their own, yeah. and authentic engagement requires a specialist approach. It requires people that understand it yeah. um, in order to engage it. And we didn't believe that shouting at people, creating like beautiful pieces of film uh, that are broadcast on a channel that young people don't watch was the best way to show a brand's investment into that space. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, it, it seems it seems so logical, you know what I mean, but a, but a lot of a lot of brands do get that incredibly wrong. They they almost appropriate culture and feed it back to the to the to the people who started it in the first place. As you said, youth culture is defining their own 
their own ethos and as they go so it's you know by the time you've reacted to it it's already moved on yeah, so, no. yeah. well i think you know we were lucky in that when i look at the makeup of the staff complement that we always had mm. you know from the early days i mean the, the the business was started by mike and ricky lee gordon yeah who um is a very established prolific street artist you know so it was it wasn't a set of admin yeah. trying to create a different type of advertising agency um it was people that were invested in culture that understood the intersection of culture brands and business yeah um and that was that 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 was always what we were able to use to attract the talent that we did um so we had you know everyone was in some way or form invested into the culture space you know they may have been some may have been way more active than others i'd say that the constant was that everyone was a student of youth culture mm -hmm. you had people that had very diverse interests within that space you had maybe more commercially minded people versus some people that were very uh, i suppose niche niche in brands their, in, their, yeah. in, their, in their interests you know or the subcultures that they played in yeah some people, you know, develop labels, artists, designers in their spare time. Everyone invested in the space. Yeah. That gave us a completely unique lens into the world. It allowed us to translate, you know, that boardroom to the street. Yeah. Um, in a way that most agencies just, just can't, you know, yeah. and, and there's evidence of it all around us every day. Yeah, I mean, with, without uh, without looking too much at the you know the current agency model, for want of a better word, I, I I completely agree. I think there's a you know there's that model for us doesn't necessarily work anymore. I'm I'm sure you you share that sentiment. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, things have got to change. Yeah. Um, it all comes down to understanding. Yeah. You know, um, we have. Uh, if you look at South Africa or Africa specifically, we've got a, an incredibly young population. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the median age on the African continent is approaching 20, which is a terrifying statistic for a lot of people. It's like, you really got to let that sink in. What that represents for brands and business, though, is a pretty massive commercial opportunity. Um, but it requires brands to understand a couple of things. It needs brands to understand what role they play um brands are trusted more than government right brands are looked at as corporate social citizens not just as products and services um but in order for them to unlock that growth potential that commercial prize they need to understand who they're talking to um so that means traditional agency structures need to evolve they need to change because you know the world yes has changed in the last you know a couple of months yeah but it's really just been put into fast forward these are these are things that have been mm -hmm. hanging around for a long time you know mm -hmm. speed agility innovation those are the names of the game right now and are really going to be the hallmarks for success for brands trying to access this market it's going to get more competitive you know mm -hmm. we're going to come out of this like dare i say it like slightly more passive um state that we've been in for the last couple of months where no one really knows what's going on businesses are figuring things out the market's going to get really it's going to get tougher before it gets better yeah it's going to get more competitive yeah and it just means that understanding of who you're talking to um and your speed to market is going to be more important 
Um, so agencies are going to have to completely rethink how they're able to achieve that for the brands that they work with. Yeah, and um, and, and marketers, and not just agencies. I think, oh, for, totally. For throughout Mark- the whole... Completely. Well, I mean, agencies are going to need to adapt, and I think the organizational structure of marketing departments is arguably more important in terms mm-hmm. of how that needs to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'd like... Well, I wouldn't like to. That, that, that sounds a little bit... Um, a little bit aggressive but you know there's going to be a deluge of talent that's out there as a result of the circumstances we're in mm-hmm. and i think there's a there's a real opportunity for brands and business to inject smart maybe more agency type thinkers yeah into their marketing departments um you know i, I think the agency service model over the years has become guilty of overcompensating and overservicing marketing departments um marketing departments need to get dynamized yeah. like this is this yeah, is this is yeah. the, this is their opportunity to evolve and look at the skill sets that sit in a marketing department you know it's look these things are going to take a while to figure out yeah. but the classic configuration now i think of a marketing department as with an agency structure mm. needs to change sure like a year two years five years from now what does a marketing department look like you know it's not very different yeah no it has to be it has to be yeah if you had to give a, a a soundtrack to and people we always ask this of a lot of our clients i think it's quite a disarming question what what sort of soundtrack or band or song or jesus you really could have That's prepared a... me for that like this <laughs> everyone is... says that <laughs> this is uh this is like my uh this is like my worst night yeah because you know we it's also mine that we're not managed when it um <laughs> I, i'm just gonna go with what's come to my mind first and i'll probably like regret this um and and most of the people that are listening to this will be like what are you talking about but um for me it kind of feels like a tupac shakur all eyes on me yeah um because when was that like 93 i think around there yeah 392 the high watermark of hip-hop um people but, my age but the reason i've chosen that uh, <laughs> I suppose I can't believe I've chosen that. But um, is yeah. I always felt like a lot of people were looking to us, um, looking to us to guide a new way, yeah. to break new ground within the, within the industry, uh, to champion like, the value of creativity um, and specifically creativity in the lives of young people. Um, and then it just has an amazing swag to it, yeah. um, which... Um, you know, you guys didn't ever have the, the privilege of walking into our space, but when you walked into our space, you felt like you were in a, you didn't feel like you were in an agency. I was there one evening, yeah. Okay. And it's announced. It, it felt, it felt, um, it, it had a, it had a swagger to it. Absolutely. Um, that was full of confidence, full of attitude. Um, you know, um, we used to laugh when the business was founded, it was positioned as the anti-agency. Yeah. Um, and so there was a punk ethos in the business. DIY sort of. Very DIY, um, very, um, you know, we existed to challenge the status quo yeah. uh, in everything that we did. And we matured and we took the anti-agency out of our creds presentation because it didn't really make sense. Did to you stay true to your punk roots though on that journey? Oh, 100%. Like every, every, everything we did was always a punk aesthetic. Always rooted in that, yeah. It yeah. was like uh, the way we thought, the way we developed the work and the work we did, you know, we, I'd say it was the one thing we did exceptionally well is we, we brought our clients along that journey with us. We weren't those people that gave people a solution that was 
completely different to what they asked for because we're trying to be creative or different. Because this is what you need. We were, exactly. We, we gave people what they needed, not yeah. what they wanted. And, and it's also fine for punk, punk bands to grow up. I mean, you look at like Fugazi or Bad Religion. Those are, they're still touring and then their 40s. And I always marvel at them that they still have that passion for the idea behind punk as, a, you know, as opposed necessarily to the music. So if you, if you stay true to that ethos, I think that's, that's incredible. And how long uh, were you guys, you were out for it? was... In terms of the lifespan of the business, yeah, lifespan of the business. So eight years, so eight, eight years. or just a little over eight years. Um, yeah. So the the business was started in Jan twenty twelve. Okay, yeah. I got a question just on um, on the story. Did it did it evolve over that time, or did it change? I mean, did it? Uh, yeah, it it went through. I'd say, and people looking at it now um, was like watching a child grow up. You know, mm, yeah. um, and and with a with a two year old kid now, I can say that that is one hundred percent true. No, but we, um, you know, looking at it, you know, even the example of the the anti agency. So the business is founded out of a spark, right? It's like this frustration with the way it's done, mm-hmm. um, and and it was the one thing that I think was was real genius of Mike in that in that he saw that opportunity, and maybe maybe. Numerous people may have thought something needed to change, but no one had the guts to do it. To actually do it. You know? Yeah. And so, and so he did it, but he did it, you know, and there was, there was this rawness to it. And the business needed to evolve to become a business. Mm-hmm. You know, it needed to, it couldn't just be something that looked Beyond cool. an idea. Yeah. Yeah. And it couldn't just have a, like a cool veneer. Mm. Um, and, you know, the smarts that we had were very unique in that we did have a cool veneer. Um, but we had really, really smart people that worked there that understood those worlds I mentioned earlier of culture, uh, business and people. And, um, so we, we had to evolve it over time as we grew, you know, as you start to realize your ambitions, as you start to think about cool, like where, where are we going? Um, and you know, the, 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 the classic journey of an entrepreneur, you know, Mm -hmm. like a business has, um, yeah, it's got numerous facets to it that, that change and develop over time. Mm. You start to develop a value system. You start to look at the people that you that you welcome into the business that are growing you as a person. Yeah. The types of partners that you work with um, that enable you to do what you believe is, is the right thing. Um, but then also how you represent yourself. You know, you have to kind of like... Um, we, used to, we used to call it growing up, not growing old. Yeah. Um, so which was just about like formalizing ourselves as a business. I think Jarvis Cocker said that. He may think. have. Yeah. He's a wise man or Jarvis. He is exceptionally wise. Yeah. Funny looking, but very <laughs> wise. But yeah. um, no, we, that was something we believed in. Like we were never going to abandon our roots as to like who we were, but how we behaved, um, how we constructed the business, how we managed the business as a commercial entity um, was, was, was very like mature. I think, um, you know, we were, we were, we had sincere ambitions to be a world leader in what we did, you know, that, that was yeah. our vision. We wanted to be the best in the world. We didn't think that we needed to be the best here. We wanted to be recognized as the best in the world. Brilliant. And the name and people, I mean, for me, it, 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 it does you know, cock a snoot at the old agency, like the, the someone and someone sort of thing. So, and people, it feels like agencies had almost forgotten the people part and, Hence the end people, but maybe that's just my interpretation of it. Yeah, it was. Um, there's a funny story behind the name because the initial thinking by Mike and Ricky 
was to call it plus people mm-hmm. um and then um the registration of the business name um revealed that there was already someone called plus people so what, what, what did they, they do, do is they yeah. well what they do is they give you suggestions as alternatives yeah and and people happen to be one of the other alternatives amongst many horrendous okay. options. Wow, that's a, so they a just kind of chose. So they kind of chose one of those. But it was it was really about this idea that we would play the intersection, like the conduit between yeah. brand and community and culture, and culture. You know, so you could plug um, any brand so, yeah. and people. Jack Daniels and people. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What was your um, if you don't mind me asking? What was your uh, working relationship with uh, Mike like? Are you guys obviously leading the. You're leading the, the company. Yeah. Um, yours is you kind of yours is it's more strategic, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. So it was a really really interesting journey. Um, in that, you know, Mike and I were friends first and foremost. Um, who respected each other's professional capabilities. Very good friends. Yeah. No. Very very good friends, and um, and our working relationship, we had a unique I suppose structure in that. I was responsible more for the strategic direction of the work that we were doing and I suppose managing the relationships with our partners where Mike was more responsible for our product as like a ECD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we didn't operate like a typical agency in that regard. We had a lot of overlap. Sure. And that overlap had really, that was where the magic was. Mm-hmm. I think Mike and I were able to unlock real magic there. Um, you know, he understood coming from a, brand world what it, the constraints were within those organizations that pure agency people just don't understand you know yep. pure agency people are like i just want to sell you an idea mm. yeah and i call guys there's actually quite a because quite Not a in machine the background yeah in the background <laughs> here that 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 this needs to get through so he sure. understood that um and then i understood how to sell something yeah um and and strategically how to direct and guide something um, and, you know, Mike was a very, very strong creative leader, you know, a very unique individual because he must have been a horrible client to work with back in the day because he was very creatively led. Yeah, that very, was the frustration that he had. Agencies didn't want to, like, listen to him. Yeah, because, because they wanted he's not the creative. They yeah, wanted the ownership of having that, having that perspective is hugely valuable. You know, mm. as you say, coming from an agency, you kind of driven by ego, you're driven by... Um, you sell the idea to mm. point yeah but having that that perspective on a on a um on your output must be hugely valuable and then having that strategic layer from from behind that yeah i think i suppose that's so yeah so no mine and mike's dynamic i think was was obviously hugely unique and um you know i think we had lots of very constructive crossover you know like that was where the magic really happened yep. um and, you know, we needed to, as a small business and two very strong-minded, opinionated people, we had to, like, I have no work, idea out, like. work out where, <laughs> the, where, where, where those barriers were as well, yeah. um, which was also a learning process, you know, because you realize that that, that that sweet spot of magic can also, at times, become a block, like, for flow. Because if you don't agree on something, then it becomes it can become quite stifling. Quite combative, you know? yeah. Um, and, and so it was... Yeah, it was a process of learning, understanding yeah. each other. And, you know, it's a very, it's, it's a much more complicated thing than we envisaged, I think, 
converting a friendship into a business relationship yeah um it's, it's yeah and and you know you you you've got to be comfortable with what you sign up for if you do that mm-hmm. like i would say to anyone without never that, really knowing what you're signing up for, without right? knowing what you're signing <laughs> up for but sure. you can't get you can't get pissed off if someone stands on your toes because they're just showing you that they're there mm, do you sure. know what i mean yeah so um as long as you're pushing towards a common goal yeah and you share a value set um you know you really can achieve amazing things and i think that's what we were very fortunate to have we both had the same intentions we had the same goal yeah and we had a combination of smarts that was just very unique so yeah we were lucky enough to like have people that believed that you know i think for us it was easy yeah. but the proof is always in the people that come with you, you sure know? so who was um so who was responsible for shaping your sort of business i suppose was it you guys or was it your your sort of staff or was it when you when you say the business do you mean like the like the, your product the output um <laughs> yeah it was lot well look it was largely driven by a team mm. uh so we were very autonomous in our operation okay let me put it that way um however mike and i were actively invested in everything okay um and the reason i answered that in that respect is there's arguably times where we should have maybe been less invested mm-hmm. to enable more autonomy. We always yeah. believed in autonomy, but maybe didn't behave that way all the time. Yeah. Um, so in terms of our, in terms of our product, we, we had incredibly capable young people. Like it's, uh, it's one of the greatest gifts that I've um, had in my career because I often would look around me and think, you know, the average age of our business was like 26. Yeah. You know, and that was with Mike and I propping that average up. Sure. <laughs> Kidding. Not considerably. Um, no, no, we took ourselves out the average. Guys, <laughs> of course we did. Um, but the, you know, I look back on where I was when I was like 27. Absolutely. Or 28. In comparison to every single one of those individuals. And I'm like, these are these people that are going to do great things. Yeah. 100%. And um, so they, they 100% shaped... The, the, the product and the direction of the business I think we were we were obviously a leadership team sure um, so we were we were we were steering that ship um, but I'd say I'd say the product was definitely collectively built yeah I, I think I mean uh, just you know Mike and I we first met at the Jupiter drawing room uh, um, in two uh, Mike joined I think 2001 I'd been there since 98 I believe but um, yeah it was just also they gave you such an opportunity at such a young age uh, I, I was you know, I was 19 years old and you're writing a Castle Light you know, TV script and you're like, I have no idea what you're doing. And they really just backed you to to go for it. And it was, it was, a, lot of, it was a lot of fun. And I think, I mean, it obviously propelled Mark's career and mine as well. So um, this Mark Bond. Um, but yeah, that, that's, I think, I think investment, investing in the youth it would be really remiss of you if you didn't, considering the, you know, mm. the, the objective of the business. And just speaking about those outputs, um, like what? What are the what? What are your outputs? I know you, there were events and there were all sorts of you know cultural touch points. What was what was the what would you say would be the general output of your of your collaborations so we, with clients? Um, well, I mean, we were very like we were audience led, right? Yeah. So we always started with culture, mm-hmm. like what's happening in the lives of the people. Not, I want a TV commercial. Cool, let's develop an idea. It's like what is the problem? Yeah. Yeah. And what is true to culture? And like, what is the solution going to be? based on that um but so that led us to like we were truly media agnostic in our approach but 
I'd say there were three core pillars to the work that we did, which were in the realms of spaces, experiences, and content. And those were largely built on like human social dynamic theory around what a community needs to thrive. So a community needs a space. It needs a place to come together. Mm -hmm. It needs a reason to come together. So the experience and it needs information, needs the content. Um, So when we did our best work, we would be looking at that as a holistic ecosystem. Um, But we were able to execute in individual extremes dependent on what the requirement was yeah. as well. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've seen some of your work and it's, 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 really, it's really like nothing else out there. I mean, and, and just some of your bigger clients that you, that you worked with. Can you take us through a couple, of, a couple of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, we were very privileged to have a client list that, that I know has been the envy of yeah. a lot of agencies out there. Um, and we really invested heavily like in those relationships. But we just, I, I guess... Um, I don't want to say lucky but very privileged to work with amazing people that believed in us that trusted us that let us do our thing um and you know many of those were with us from day one so you know adidas um has been at the at the at the forefront of that the project that launched and people the first project and people ever did is actually still running right now so eight years later it's still running that's phenomenal it was a 500 square meter warehouse um, in Maboneng, and now it's an open source Instagram channel, but it still exists, Incredible. and it still it still exists for the same reason that it that it existed eight years ago. Um, but Adidas and Levi's were find, founding clients of ours, um, and we worked with them start, yeah. all the all the way through. Mm. Um, but we're privileged enough to work with amazing um, people within the. The Edward Snell Group and across a, a range of different brands in their portfolio. So Glenfiddich Whiskey, Jose Cuevo, uh, Tequila, which obviously everyone knows. Yeah. Um, as well as smaller brands like Woodstock Gin. Um, but then we also worked with the Bacardi Group, uh, the Luxottica Group on Ray-Ban, Oakley, For sure. Sunglass Hut. Um, and then, you know, when we started moving into a tech space with the likes of Spotify, Netflix, um, yeah, we were we were very fortunate. I'm I'm probably forgetting someone now because I haven't regurgitated our, our <laughs> client list in a while. And if if I if I have, I apologize. But yeah, um, yeah, those were those were like our core, you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, we were we were lucky. We worked with exclusively global brands. Uh, we didn't work with any local brands. Um, we. How did you? How did you? I'm thinking to ask the so, same so question. How, how did you convince those? Um, you know, you said you started off with Adidas. Um, so how do you convince a, a client, a global client like that, to go with a, an agency that hasn't actually got any sort of work and it's stable yet? It's so obviously you worked on Adidas prior to that. So maybe that was obviously broken. No, I, I had nothing to do with that. So um, the origin, and I could stand to be corrected here, uh, but I was only really discussing this with our business partner in Australia early this week. Um 2010, yeah. Um, the Football World Cup. Um, Shabalala's goal against Mexico. The anniversary yeah. was two days ago. <laughs> so uh, there was a building in Woodstock. Yeah. That I think that um, Ricky Lee Gordon had pitched to Adidas proactively to take that building over for the duration of the World Cup and yeah. create a like experiential brand festival around that and obviously adidas as a official sponsor of the world cup Mm -hmm. they had some money to spend on how they activated they went ahead with that 
And I think that was where um, Andrew McDade, who was the, the Adidas uh, Originals brand manager at the time, together with Ricky, and I think Mike was involved in that space. Mike at the time was working at Red Bull, but they had a connection. And I think they started talking at that point around, this is different. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like this is an immersive brand experience. It's creating a community. Um, there's something here. Yeah, uh, and I think that was the that was the origin of what then became the project, which is Area Three. Okay, sure. And and just again, I suppose to Mike's point as well, with uh, you know global brands, there's obviously global guidelines in place. I'm sure. Well, I know Adidas had a specific campaign around the World Cup. How did you navigate those waters with with global? Because often they they we we, they, we 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 were very fortunate in our journey over the last eight years mm-hmm. um, in. Very good at rationalizing why we've got it, why the global direction is not right. What you've just spent 150 million on is not. You know, World Cups aside, if you look yes. at like culture, Africa is unique, right? Like yep. the strategy developed in Europe is not easily translated here. No. Um, and that's why we were, we were fortunate enough to have people within Adidas that knew that. Yeah. Um, the actual footballs are anything that travels. You know what I mean, that's that's the one thing that's global, but, but everything around it is different. Yeah. But 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 people that within that brand and organization that knew that that realized that they needed they were getting a pasting early on um, by their biggest competitor. Mm-hmm. They needed to mean something. They needed to make themselves visible and tangible. And there wasn't anything in the global guideline that said how to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, so we were just fortunate enough to be able to rationalize the why, uh, back it up with what the results will be, what's the commercial prize here and why yeah. we need to do it. And, and then we go ahead and do it, you know, mm. and that's what led us to yeah. running things like for two years, we ran a retail store. You, you just, sudden, you just did of, it, ironically. All, all, yeah. all of a sudden we had a retail <laughs> store. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and, and we weren't, um, yes, we, we, we didn't carry the risk for that retail store, yeah, sure. but we were in the operation of running um, what was South Africa's premier sneaker destination yeah. at that time. Yeah. And that was purely because the Adidas retail guideline doesn't give you a truly inspirational pinnacle retail experience for top tier product. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sure. there wasn't anything in market that could satisfy that. So we needed to do it ourselves. Do it yourself. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we were able to, to work with people that trusted us to, to do it. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's all in the rationale, you know, like, like I was saying, we're business people. So we're not going to sell ideas for the sake of our ego and doing something that we believe looks beautiful. Or we think it's cool. Yeah. Our purpose is to grow those brands. We want them to, we're invested in their success. Yeah. Um, so we need to rationalize why that is the right thing to do. And if it's the wrong thing to do, we just, we, we won't recommend it. So we won't do it. Mm. Yeah. Know? Like it makes complete business sense from a, from totally. And, um, I know you've said we've spoken about earlier marketing departments having to, you know, the seismic shift that's happened around the world, they're having to change. Um, did you find you had a, a lot of, for want of a better word, re-education to do with a lot of um, a lot of marketing teams saying like, listen, this is, this is what we can do and this is how we can do it? I wouldn't call it re-education. I would call it, um, they were bringing us in, they were going to pay us to do something that they couldn't do yeah right so we were just doing our job we were actually shining a light on a space and a consumer and a market that they shouldn't 
necessarily know. Yeah. Because they should be focused on their business. Um, and, you know, ultimately what we do could make them better at their jobs. Sure. But if they could do what we were brought in to do, then, you know. Absolutely. Did then, you, then they wouldn't need us. Did you ever, for Adidas, for instance, did you ever remind them of their roots? I mean, we, we spoke off air about the, you know, watching Hip Hop Evolution when they took those Adidas executives down to a Run DMC show and mm. where mm-hmm. all the kids were holding up their Adidas mm-hmm. shelters and yeah. and they were like, listen, sign them. And they were the first non-athletic brand to be, or, or person to mm. be signed by, by a sportswear company. And uh, did you ever remind Adidas of... of of, of their roots like this is you, you're about you you are of the people the you know we were fortunate enough to work with you know yeah. brands that understood their heritage and yeah. their place in culture they knew where we could create value for them that they didn't necessarily know how to you know how to unlock it themselves mm-hmm. um but you know those are you you look at the likes of adidas levi's these are brands with like really really established profiles and yeah. culture yeah um and the people that work in those organizations you know are entrenched those, in they're, they're entrenched in that mm. and they, they represent those values and that spirit um in everything that they do so brilliant no we didn't we didn't need to remind them of it you mm. know like there were there were opportunities to go back to those intricate stories yeah. and look at those intricate stories and work out how to repurpose them for today you know um Adidas had a mantra a couple of years ago, which was all about um, Possible, past empowers the future. Oh, right. Um, and that was their central design philosophy for their product because they've got this amazing archive um, of all the original footwear that was designed. And rather than trying to create new products, they were just going into what was amazing about products within the archive and reinterpreting them today oh that's yeah that's fantastic um, yeah the heyday is now it's obviously it's stopped you know which is mm-hmm. kind of devastating but i mean the way you the way you've approached that has been really interesting yeah well. let's get into that i suppose i suppose the way you've kind of ended it is it's like you just continued the story you know? mm-hmm. like if there was a way to end it this is the way they end it you know? yeah. which i think is i think is really interesting um and also those like business I went through all the I went through all the stuff, did like a quick scan just to kind of see how in depth it was, and and it's like remarkable. Like the business structure is is amazing. Who who created that? Who like developed the business structure? I know your product was obviously created by the. You mean the workflows? Yeah, like the workflows and just the there's just a lot of um, process and, and structure in place, which I I really believe that gives you the the space and then do like you know the good stuff, the creative stuff. No, we had. Um... We had an amazing group of uh, individuals who, who worked on that over quite a sustained period of time. Okay. Because we we evolved really quickly. Yeah. And that like the scale of the work we were doing, yeah. the ambition was growing. And those like punk aesthetics of like no process focus on just the result yeah. um, is, is, is really, really important. However... When you've got multiple things going on, yeah. you realize that you need you need to radically inform your efficiency and productivity as a team mm. to ensure that everyone's looked after. Yeah. Um, so we never wanted to be a process-driven agency, but we wanted to have a structure in a way. Yeah. 
um, that was true to developing ideas that we believed mattered yeah. like the way in which you develop compelling powerful ideas yeah and so did, so you, did you almost think did you create a i mean we, we've got something that we've been working on um almost like a, a sort of formula mm-hmm. obviously you've got to fill it in mm-hmm. but there was a sort of process that we've we've put in place now to get from a to b you know like we know b is this result and we know that with our team if we give them like these sort of milestones or these objectives mm-hmm. along the way they can sort of start filling them in if mm-hmm. you do, if you don't give them any of that they just kind no, of spiral. You no, know, it's chaos. Yeah. No, it's yeah. all about, um, you know, yeah. how you foster a culture of autonomy uh, and accountability. Mm. And at the heart of autonomy and, and accountability lies trust. So that process was engineered in that way. So mm. there's dedicated ownership for different components. It's collaborative, but there's accountability. Okay, cool. um, and it's was also engineered to work smart and fast mm. like it wasn't laborious we're not the type of business that likes to spend three weeks developing yeah media media doesn't allow for it anymore yeah. no, it, it, no it really doesn't so yeah. it was about finding a structure in a way that was uniquely us mm. but at the same time that was simple and mm. i know some of the documentation makes it look more complicated than mm. than maybe it, than maybe it is but well it's not it's, it's a it's a game plan you know, know it's like a well, the yeah. important the important thing for us was that it was created by the people that were doing it. So, mm. Mike and I inputted into that. Mm. We reviewed it and we challenged and we tweaked. Now the whole the whole flow was built by the team of people that were responsible for leading it. So okay. everything from creative leadership to business leadership and project management ownership, mm. um, uh, and production. Mm those were the stakeholders okay. like they were ultimately responsible that was the, the the plan mike and i didn't want responsibility within the workflow um and it would be out of our value system for us to define how people should work and to chase them down. and to tell them how to do it um empower them to create the process and you know the process is built on a combination of um individuals that had come from some of them only ever worked with the NAND people. Yeah. So they had a very untainted um, view of how work gets created. Yeah, we've we've lucky to have the same. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Or people that had come from more organized, or maybe not more organized, but more traditional structures that could take those learnings and apply them into our world. Mm. Mm. Um, and where those two worlds come together is ultimately what you what you see in that pack. Mm. Yeah, it, it sounds like what, what's what's really interesting about the the whole brand journey and brand story of and people is that is that tension between you know what you represent that 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 punk do it yourself aesthetic and and the very structural business side and somewhere between the collision between possibly yours and Mark's personalities and ideas but but a very positive collision of those ideas I think that's as you said earlier is a sweet spot and uh, yeah that's it's, it, it feels like you've you've amplified your clients brand stories in a very unique in a unique way yeah Yeah, what was all about you know the beginning was always about like making those stories tangible so that 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 first project i mentioned area three the 500 square meter warehouse in maboning at that stage what you had is nike cleaning up Mm -hmm. nike based in the center of joburg um and engaging people on the ground heavily adidas based in cape town stuck in maybe a bit more of a traditional mindset 
we needed to make Adidas's street culture credentials Get tangible. Back. Yeah. Because they are the leader in that space. It's yep. their space to own. And so the run DMC story. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. it was take a space and let it be there and let that space be the skin to tell these stories. And so let it evolve. Mm. Every time people come in there, it should be telling a different brand story, but doing it in a tangible way. Um, don't just tell me, show me, mm. you know, uh, involve me, give me a, give me a role to play within this. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was an amazing case study, I must say. Sure. And Duncan, then what happened? Huh? Um, sorry we we can we can obviously um no 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 it's uh it's no it's 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 valid but it's you know we as a business we're in just you know very consistent growth uh commercially from a maturity perspective and an ambition perspective um so you know the tragic irony of our closure is February 29th, 2020, we closed the most successful financial year in the history of the business. Um, we had built and planned for the next evolution of growth. We had resourced for that. You know, we had hired a lot more people in the last couple of months to propel the next chapter in the story. And the reality is that the success of the business was built on brands in the lifestyle fashion, retail, and alcohol sector, um, and exclusively global brands and business. And the success of the business ultimately, ultimately became like mm. the biggest limitations or the drivers of the decision to close the business because those specific categories were the hardest hit yep. in our country. Like they literally went into no trade. So not just bad performance, no trade. So you don't sell products for two and a half months. Yeah. And, and at least with bad performance, you can identify a problem and, and solve exactly. it with your client. But this is literally dead no, this stopped. Is, no, this yeah. is dead, dead stop. Also, it's not a South African issue. This is a global issue. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of decision-making autonomy goes out the window um, because this is, this is a bigger global business. Um, and... Yeah, it wasn't, you know, for us, it was just a very, we were fortunate to realize that very quickly. Um, as easy as it is to say that now, at the time, it was really hard. Yeah. Because you've put heart and soul. And more. Yeah. And more into building something that you are believing is only at the cusp of what it's actually able to achieve. And then all of a sudden you realize that's a threat. And very real threat and not just an average threat you know it's not like you lost a key client mm. um, or if you ever had a, a, a client that represented too much of your revenue base and they suddenly walked out the door now you you've got to re-engineer that revenue this is like across the board mm. mass scale Push economic yeah. disruption and uncertainty and no idea as to when it's going to turn and end um, and yeah, we just, we've never been, you know, we've always acted with integrity within the business. And we we just didn't really see a, a future where we wanted to compromise that. 
We didn't want to ever be in a situation where we couldn't pay our staff. We didn't want to be in a situation where we couldn't pay our suppliers. And being completely transparent, we didn't see a future where it was fair for the shareholders in the business to walk away with nothing. Um, so, you know, we, we, we had to act quickly um, and we didn't want to white knuckle it. We didn't want to be in a situation where we white knuckled our way through this. It felt like putting everything on red or black. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't like someone said, guys, if you make it through the next six months, it'll be cool. Take that compromised view, yeah. It's not six months. It's more than likely 18, mm -hmm. you know. And the business that would survive through that time would be a completely different business than what we were building. And then it feels like you're just enduring the business for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, and so that was, you know, the, a really difficult set of decisions to have to make. Um, devastating to think about our team because you care about that team so much, but comfort in knowing that like, it's an exceptional bunch of young people. And you did the best you could for them. Well, we've developed them to a point where actually this is an amazing opportunity for them as well. Yeah. To go and to go and take everything that they've learned within our four walls and apply it uh, in other spaces. Go yeah. and change the world, you know. Um, I always think about the, the places where I formed my career enabled me to do what I've achieved mm -hmm. now. They're at that point. And they were always going to. They were always going to get there. They yeah. were never, never like to think that everyone would stay with an ant people mm. and like one long happy family forever is obviously a fallacy but this is that necessary push mm. you yeah. know uh to say okay we've done what we can yeah. um and we want to leave with our heads held high and we want to leave with the integrity same integrity that we've run the business with the entire time sure and just just the fact that you're speaking so candidly about about your your business here and you've you've made it a, an objective of yours to to really share all of your your learnings mm. on, in, in various spaces online and you know with 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 your your learnings from from and people which is an incredibly successful business as you say that someone hit the full stop on because of a yeah. of a pandemic yeah yeah no i mean it was important for us in closing it was actually one of the ideas of one of the members of our team um robin newham who was one of our creative directors who had grown up with Anand people. She joined us as an intern six years ago and became one of the leaders of the engine room. And she early on proposed the idea that we just open source it. She was like, we should just do this. And it wasn't, I mean, it was the easiest decision ever because it just, it was right. Yeah. Our industry is guilty of like, mm holding on to Guarding these things secrets, yeah. and like it's an anti-agency move that you pulled which is exactly and, what you started why you started yeah. it's a great way to sort of well, exactly it and, it's, and a it's, very, like, it's a very punk move you know, well, you share know like, it, yeah. well we'll put it this way there's there are there are going to be a whole bunch of new types of creatively led businesses that are going to start emerging yeah in the in the near future and there were already ones that were forming months ago um but these are guys and girls that are learning things that could take them like a year to two years to figure out where actually like we could just give it to the, give it to them now. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to fast track their development, make them better at what they do so they can actually focus on what is important, which is 
creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the industry's always seen that as like a threat. Mm-hmm. It's like, why would I give away my intellectual property? It's not intellectual property. Like, it's just a set of tools. Yeah. And um, you're just going to make people better. And those people aren't going to compete with you. Mm-hmm. You've created value in their lives. They're actually going to support you. They're going to be allies, not competitors. So it was just a mindset shift, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the response has been amazing. So we, we definitely know we did the right thing. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what comes of it. You know, I'm yeah. excited to see if people utilize it. I hope they do. We yeah. certainly, we certainly are trying. Yeah. You guys, you guys are utilizing it at all. Yeah. yeah. We've got our operations manager scrutinizing <laughs> as we speak. He wasn't can, invited today. I can consult you. If you <laughs> sure. I was going to ask you on that note. Uh, I'll put it on the invoice. What's next? What do you... What do you uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, at this it's point a, it's in a good time, feeling. No, at this point in time, it's, it's a time to slow down and reset and reflect. Um, and with a two-year-old child isn't yeah exactly yeah. spend some time at home and you know i think um the last six years within and people and i'd say the last six probably prior to that were very full-on um i like to be busy i like working mm-hmm. um and i've just tried to utilize this time to slow that down a little bit like not be so consumed by the idea of work um rethink or just reimagine how I use my time a bit. Yeah. Um, but also just channel it where I believe I can create the most impact. And we'll see. I, d- I don't know if I'll ever be able to work for someone again. Um, so I'm pretty certain it'll be something that I start. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm just using the time to figure out what the world needs. Um, Sorry to say this to you guys because I know you're a creative agency, but I don't believe the world needs another creative agency. Well, um, we, there's, yeah. there, there, there's enough. None of them are like there's us. This, mm-hmm. there's, there, there's, there's enough. There's enough of them out there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I've got some. I've got some thoughts as to what that what that answer is. Um, but but I'm not rushing into it. Like a, this is a an unbelievable gift or privilege to be able to have some time. Yeah. So I'm just utilizing it for 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 that for now. Yeah. Um but um but it will I'm sure it will be involved in the brand marketing space that's for sure. Um it is what I'm passionate about but um also probably through a youth lens. For sure. Duncan it's been an absolutely an absolute immense pleasure having you having you with us today on the, pleasure. Thank the North you. Story podcast. It really uh, as you said earlier we could you know we could we could all speak for hours about this and uh yeah, it's been it's been really illuminating and, and really inspiring, and I, I hope everyone's enjoyed it. And uh, obviously, I want to say thanks to Lance Peach from Rover Recordings for <laughs> r- recording us in front of his roaring fireplace. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's awesome. been a real pleasure. Really awesome. enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Dunk. Thanks, Duncan. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Uh, so yeah, just quickly, um, um, did one calls you Moose? Where is that from? <laughs> um, that's a we need another podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> 